Um, let me see. This, okay. Um, we we um, recently concluded our Harvest 201 class. It's our second uh, series of classes. See, this was the third uh, kind of uh, class that has, has gone through. We've done this two times before. And a few weeks ago, the second, uh, second class of Harvest 201, uh, the graduating class, so to speak, uh, gathered together for almost like an alumni reunion. One of the things that we do at the beginning of, of Harvest 201 is we ask uh, for prayer requests for each of our students, and we commit to praying through these things. And uh, a couple people in that, that second class wanted to, to bring everyone together and to rehash through these prayer requests and to talk about uh, how God has been faithful to us. And as we gathered in that place, uh, it was such a powerful and, and sweet time of, of sharing ways in which uh, I, would, I would probably have to say that a great many of these prayer requests answered specifically in the way that they were prayed. Others were still waiting. Uh, a very uh, few were still waiting uh, for answers. And then others were answered in a way that was far greater than what could have ever been uh, anticipated when those prayer requests were originally written down. It has been a, a really uh, powerful and, and transformative uh, journey for a lot of our people. And this now is the third class that has just uh, been finished. And uh, we have one of our students, uh, Monica Lee, uh, just finished her second year, University of Central Florida. She's going to come and she's going to share about how uh, the class was a blessing for her and how the Lord has been working in her um, through that time. So let's welcome Monica. She comes to, to share with us. Hi. So um, here's a confession. Before Harvest 2-1, I studied more from my microbiology book than I did from my Bible. And it's strange how I call myself a Christian, but know such little of the book we study from. Um, to call myself a microbiologist, I probably would have to read multiple micro books and be able to basically write one. Um, but I could not see myself being able to do this with the Bible. Uh, through this class, I was able to see deeper into God's word and his truth and see the importance of studying the Bible. Um, before this class, I had little support to back up the hard questions that unbelievers face, and I could not answer the questions they asked. If I did have the opportunity and the courage to share with the good news with them, um, and when they did ask questions, I would usually respond with, um... I'm not sure. Let me ask my pastor and I'll get back to you on that. Um, and it was quite embarrassing. But through this class, I committed time to read his word and summarize passages. And while summarizing these passages, I was able to break down um, the passage and kind of analyze it. And by analyzing, I was able to translate the passage into easier terms and also see the truth in each verse. And it was like a light bulb kind of flicked in my head after reading each chapter, and I realized how um, even historical the Bible is and um, that the chapters and passages are written in historical formats that reflect early work. I was also blessed to realize how I can find my victory in Christ. Everyone faces trials, unbelievers and believers alike, but through Christ, I can find pure joy in each trial. Um, this semester, while I took this class, I was, it was by far the hardest and most stressful time in my life. And I only know this because of the circumstances I'm in, but honestly, I didn't feel that stressed out. And this is because of 1 Corinthians 10, 13. God promises me victory and never gives me, 
too much that I can't handle. And this semester, ooh, <laughs> I, I applied to nursing school. And I was waitlisted. And waitlisting stinks because you have to wait. <laughs> and um, that's the term waitlisting. And um, it's like my life was on hold and I was stuck and not moving forward or backwards. But that wasn't true because my life is not on hold and I'm still living and breathing. And I can use this time to grow in Christ. And this is what I realized through Harvest 201 and through my house church. And I realized that this fire that I'm going through, this refining, is so that I may be purified because he loves me and his presence is with me. And I'm worth it and I'm precious to him that he cares that much enough to improve me and make me stronger. And that the fire is never meant to burn but to purify he brought me peace and patience, and I'm so thankful for this fruit. I also realized how destructive sin and how my God loves me so much that he wants to protect me from it. I can find freedom in his laws, and it sounds weird, but God creates laws. God creates laws so that um, we may be prevented from death, and that death is sin. Through his ways, I'm able to learn how to live far from sin and crave for a relationship for him, all because he loves me and because I'm his child. After Harvest 2-1, I'm more equipped to face the world and know that I must live out God's word. I realize that I'm not from this world and my citizenship is in heaven. And I encourage everyone and their mom to take Harvest 2-1. You will mature in your faith with Christ and be able to realize how much he really, really, truly loves you. Thanks. All right. All right. Thank you. Thanks, Monica, for sharing. <clears throat> well, um, if you're new today, um, thank you so much for coming. I know it's Memorial Day. People are in and out. Um, thanks for uh, choosing to, to worship here with us. Um, we are kind of a, in the middle of a, of a series here. This is the fifth message. Uh, thinking about, uh, kind of thinking about this passage that we're going to be talking from today. And um, a few, uh, few months ago, uh, my wife Olivia and I, we were kind of dealing with a, a bum tire on our, on our Honda Civic. Right? Um, it was uh, kind of a, an issue. The, the, the a person at the car shop said that it was called dry rot. Uh, I don't know if you know what that means, but... Uh, something from the inside was causing um, the tire to go bad and that air was constantly leaking. And so um, we knew that we needed to get it fixed, but the cost of tires was really expensive and we didn't want to get it yet. So we were just kind of waiting as, as long as we could. Uh, we'd fill it up, uh, air would go out. About a week later, we'd go to the gas station, we'd fill it back up, and then we, we'd kind of do this whole cycle again. And I said, I know, Olive, I, I need to get it fixed, but um, we, I, I, I want to wait a little bit. I want to wait and push it as, as long as we can. And I, I knew that it was getting worse and worse because the interval between fill-ups of, of air was getting uh, shorter and shorter. First it would be seven days, and it would be like five days, and it would be three days. And, and so I said, okay, finally, uh, we've got to go to Costco because that's where they have cheap tires. We need to get a couple tires, so we're going to um, go there. Uh, next off day, I've got Manny Monday. We're going. We're going to make a beeline at the Costco. So here we are. Well, it's a few months back, and, and we're driving. And, uh, well, before we drove, I opened up the garage door, the light comes on, and, and I look at the tire, and it's, it's worse than it had been. 
So I was like, well, it's not bad enough that we need to uh, kind of put a dummy tire on it yet. But here's what we'll do. We'll, we'll just kind of go to the nearest gas station, which is not that far away. We'll put some air in it, see if it can last, and then we'll drive out to Costco, which is like a, a million miles away from our house. So we said, okay, let, let's try that. And so we're going and we're going and we're going. And, and uh, after, after we start going for a little bit, you have to realize that something, <laughs> something is, is deeply flawed with our journey. It's like car is making all kinds of like funny noise. But then we get to about maybe like, uh, I don't know, a few hundred yards away from the gas station and it just starts smelling like burnt rubber. And I was like, I don't think this is supposed to smell like that. And so uh, we put on the, the hazard and we're going like really slowly. And um, I'm starting to sweat because, you know, this is like everyone is like honking and they're wondering, why is this car going so slowly? And, and when cars pass us, they like stare at us. And it's just this, this really um, awkward thing. And Manny's sitting in the back, and she's, she's probably thinking, why are we going so slowly? She looks at the trees are moving a lot slower. And we, so finally, um, I'm like, I don't, think we can, I don't think we can go any further. And we started to hear, like, the sound of, of metal grinding. But I, like, I, I want to push it as far as we can. I don't, don't want to uh, pull over, like, 50 feet away from the, from the gas station. So we get in, we turn in, and then uh, I look at the tire, and it is completely jacked up. It is completely annihilated. There's like metal uh, things sticking out of it, and it is, is completely, uh, completely screwed up. And we cannot, there's no way that we can put air into it. And I'm thinking, man, this is in really, really bad shape. I don't, I don't think we could have gone another, probably another 10, another 10 yards. Um, probably we had hit our max. And I wonder, I wonder if uh, there's any, of us who feel like that as we come in here this morning. I feel like something's wrong with my heart. I feel like I've been going, I've been going. I don't think I can go any longer. And the fact, in fact, the fact that I'm here right now is an act of miraculous grace because I don't think I could go any further. Now, sometimes I wish that there was a spare tire for my heart. You ever feel like that? You ever feel like, man, I, I wish I could, I could switch something out and then I could keep on going. But as it is right now, I don't think I can make it. Just feel worn out. You feel tired. You feel drained. You feel empty. You feel like you can't make it any further. Like this is, this is as far as I can go. I, I think if you feel like that, man, I've been praying for you. <laughs> I've been praying for you because I know what you feel like. And what you feel like is what Jacob felt like in the passage that we're about to read here. Jacob has done a bunch of awful things, and what he thinks is going to fill his soul, he's completely empty, he's completely jacked up. Genesis chapter 28, we're going to pick up uh, Genesis 28, read verses 10 through 22. I pray for those of you in here who feel like that, that today when you leave here, that you'll have new tires, and you'll be able to go, and you'll be able to go, and you'll find strength to make it another week, and make it another week, and to victoriously go uh, this journey. Genesis 28, we're going to read verses 10 through 22. This is God's word. Uh, It's a very... uh, Interesting passage. I was speaking with someone about it when they found out that I was preaching on this. They said, you know what? No one really understands. This is a weird, very difficult to understand passage. I'm going to take our time to to really try and unpack it a little bit. Uh, Genesis 28, verse 10, through the end of the chapter. This is God's word. Jacob left Beersheba and set out for Haran. When he reached a certain place, he stopped for the night because the sun had set. Taking one of the stones there, he put it under his head and lay down to sleep. He had a dream in which he saw a stairway resting on the earth with its top reaching to heaven and the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. There above it stood the Lord and he said, I am the Lord, 
the God of your father Abraham and the God of Isaac. I will give you and your descendants the land on which you are lying. Your descendants will be like the dust of the earth and you will spread out to the west and to the east and to the north and the south. All peoples on earth will be blessed through you and your offspring. I'm with you and will watch over you wherever you go and I'll bring you back to this land. I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. When Jacob awoke from his sleep, he thought, surely the Lord is in this place and I wasn't aware of it. He was afraid and said, how awesome is this place? This is none other than the house of God. This is the gate of heaven. Early the next morning, Jacob took the stone he had placed under his head and set it up as a pillar and poured oil on top of it. He called that place Bethel, though the city used to be called Luz or Luz. Then Jacob made a vow saying, if God will be with me and will watch over me on this journey that I'm ta- I am taking and will give me food to eat and clothes to wear so that I return safely to my father's house, then the, Lord will, then the Lord will be my God and this stone that I've set up as a pillar will be God's house. And of all that you give me, I will give you a tenth. This is God's word. What in the world is going on here? This is a, a passage that, again, few rightly understand, and yet so many seek to use its, its, its content as a springboard for their purposes. Uh, Led Zeppelin wrote a great, well, I wouldn't say it's great because, uh, well, it, it, they wrote a song called The Stairway to Heaven. I don't know if you guys know it, but back when I was in, in my youth group days, um, there was a video called Hell's Bells that came out, basically saying that rock music is all of the devil. And they played this song, Stairway to Heaven, by Led Zeppelin backwards, and it had all of these like satanic uh, meaning behind it. I was like freaked out. I was like, I'm never touching that song. But there's a Korean drama called Stairway to Heaven, based off of this passage here. There is a movie called Jacob's Ladder, an American movie, Jacob's Ladder. There are songs about it. But what in the world is this dream at Bethel all about? What is this Jacob's Ladder? What is the Stairway to Heaven all about? How do we, if we're in a place like Jacob, we feel like we're at the end of our rope, how do we find comfort in this passage? I think there's three ways. The first thing that we have to see is that God often comes to us when we've hit rock bottom. God often comes to us when we hit rock bottom. What is, here's what's going on. For those of you, let me, let me get you caught up to speed. Jacob is a bad man. When he was born, he was called Jacob, which means the grasper, which means the deceiver. He came out grasping his older brother, his twin brother Esau's heel. So that's kind of, it, it's, it's a foreshadowing of what his life was going to be. He's a deceiver, and through his deceit, he's always grasping for things that his brother owns. We've seen him uh, when his brother was vulnerable, when he was so hungry, so famished, he made this meal, this, this, this red stuff, and he sold it to him for his birthright, which in that day was one of the most prized possessions that anyone could ever have. Then last week, we saw this account where he dressed up, he played like trick-or-treat, dressed up like his brother Esau, because Esau was hairy and he was smooth, remember? He dressed up, put all this uh, hair on him. His mom made him food just like his brother made. And he brought it to his dad and he said, I am your firstborn. So that he could get the blessing of the father. He deceives his blind, dying dad. Who does that? Right? This is terrible. <laughs> terrible. This is really bad. This is awful stuff that he's doing here. He's a bad man. And so he, he steals the birthright. He steals a blessing from his older brother, And then his older brother Esau finds out. And what do you think his older brother wants to do? He wants to kill him. So Jacob's got everything that he thinks he wants. But all that slips through his fingers like sand. And now his his dad still doesn't doesn't love him. His brother doesn't. His brother surely doesn't. His brother wants to kill him. His mother is the only person who's ever loved him in this life. 
And she says, you know what? If you stay here, then your brother's going to kill you. You need to run for your life. Go, my uncle, I'm sorry, my brother Laban, your uncle lives about 550 miles away from here. You need to go. You need to get out of town because your brother Esau, he's angry. He's going to kill you. And so he's, he's, he starts running. He's running. He's running for his life. And, and, and his mom said, mom and dad say, hey, while you're out there, look, you're pushing 70, 80 years old. You need to get married. So go and, and find a wife also out there. Go find a wife out there. So he's running for his life. He's running for his wife. And he's gone. He's taken off. And he's about 55 miles away from home. And finally, the sun begins to set. When the sun sets in a strange land, he says, I need to, I need to go to sleep because he can't go any further. And look what it says. Here, here's, this is interesting. He starts, uh, Jacob left Beersheba and set out for Haran when he reached a certain place. Okay, this is where he's at. He's at a certain place. The place doesn't really mean anything to him because as far as he's concerned, it's all the same. I'm in the middle of nowhere. I'm away from the only person who's ever loved me. If I slow down enough that my brother's going to catch me, he's going to kill me. I, I, I'm in big trouble. I'm in big trouble here. When he reached a certain place, he stopped for the night because the sun had set. Okay, you know, in, in all literature, when the sun sets, it's a sign of, of, of bad things happening. Taking one of the stones there, he put it under his head and lay down to sleep. Now, Jacob didn't have a pillow here, so what does he do? He busts out a, a stone. You ever do that before? Right, we're uh, having a youth retreat soon in a couple of weeks, right? Some of y'all are going to forget your pillows. And then you're going to say, wow, I, my, this is really hard for me to sleep. And you will do everything. You will take out um, your, your backpack and you'll sleep on your backpack. You will roll, fold up shirts and you'll sleep on that. You'll sleep. Maybe some of you will put uh, your, your, your shorts or your, your jeans over your Bible and you'll sleep on that. But none of you are going to let me let me go out to, and find a rock here to sleep on. Right, why, why, why did he do that? Well, you're, maybe you're waiting for some great explanation. Here's my great explanation. In the ancient Near East. People used to sleep on rocks a lot because it was always cool, cool as the other side of your pillow, especially on a hot night. It was very helpful because the uh, hardness of the rock provided massage to the back of your head. No. Why, in the, why did he get because there was nothing else that he could have to sleep on? See, Jacob is completely stripped of everything, of everything that he has. The only thing he's got are the clothes on his back doesn't even have an extra shirt that he could roll up. See, why is it that when Jacob was doing all of this deceitful stuff, he deceived his brother and we're, 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 we're reading this and we're like, man, what, a, what an awful guy he is. God, punish him. Do something about it. But he doesn't. He gets the, he gets the birthright. Why is it, God, when, when he, 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 he cheats his dad, he, he, he lies to his dad, and then on top of all that, he uses God's name in vain. When, he, when his dad says, how did you get it so quickly? Instead of telling him the truth, he says, the Lord your God blessed me with it. Like, God, this is blasphemy. Do something about it. A lot of times God delays the consequences of our sin. Jacob has hit rock bottom here. And it's in that place that God would meet with him. Hey, some of y'all may feel like you're at this place. Hey, you might feel like you're at rock bottom in your life. You see that the description here, the sun had set. He puts his head on a rock. He's in a dark place and he's in a hard place. And perhaps that describes where you are today. Perhaps that describes where your friend is today. Maybe the person sitting next to you. 
But Jacob's in a hard place and he's in a dark place and he doesn't know what to do. He doesn't know where to go. He feels alone and all of his deepest fears are starting to be played out in his life right now as he lays down to sleep. And then he goes down to sleep and there in verse 12, he says he has a dream. And in in those days, dreams were one of the primary means of God communicating with somebody. And it would typically be in Genesis, dreams were God's way of communicating with someone outside of a relationship with God. Visions were how God would speak to those in relationship with him. But dreams were how, especially in Genesis, uh, except for perhaps his son Joseph, but dreams were how God would speak to those who are not in relationship with God. You see, Jacob is not in a relationship with God. And so God, in order to get his attention, he has a dream and he begins to speak to him through this dream. And he has this dream of Jacob's ladder. It's not really a ladder like a fireman's ladder that you would climb up, but the, the real image is, is of a ziggurat. Do you know what that is? It's kind of like a huge tower and there's this, this, this golden staircase that goes up along the sides of it. And in the ancient Near East, people saw that the people in their mind's eye, ziggurat was a place where the angels end, uh, would ascend and descend. They would take a message from heaven and they would come down to earth and they would bring it. And this is the image that Jacob is getting here as he dreams this dream. And it's in that place that God begins to speak to him. And if you were God, Knowing what you know about Jacob, what is it that you would say to him in that place? If it was me, I would probably say something like, Jacob, you stinking, deceitful, grasping, you're, a, you're, a, you're an awful guy. And I would rebuke him and I would correct him and I would pour commands in. Jacob, you need to shape up. But what is it that God says to him? Starting in verse 13 through verse 15, God just begins to pour. Like the words that, the, the words that come out of God's mouth in this dream to Jacob drip of just utter and sheer grace into Jacob's life. Because you see, it's when we deserve it the least that we need God's love the most. Let me... Let me it's when, we, it's when we deserve love the least. It's when we need love the most. When, when Jacob's been kicking and complaining and screaming, when you've been kicking and complaining and screaming, when you've been talking, oh God, why this, why that? When you've been complaining about all these things, when you need it, when you deserve it the least, that's when you need it the most. That's when your children, this is, here's Parenting 101. When your children deserve your love the least, that's when they need it the most. When they feel the most ashamed, when they feel the most condemned, that's when they need your love the most. And here Jacob, completely divested of everything that he needs, completely devoid of everything, of every, every uh, source of hope in his life, completely emptied out. And here's where God begins to speak to him. And perhaps this is what you need to hear. Those who feel empty and it's been your sin that's done it and you feel like you've been kicking and screaming at God. Because when we deserve it the least, we need it the most. There was a time when I was young. I'll spare you the details. But when I was young, I did something really bad to my mom and dad. And so they, they took me. They put me in the car, told me to pack up. And they took me to the juvenile detention center. And I, you know, to this day, I don't know if their, if their intention was really to, to leave me there or if it was just to scare the daylights out of me. Because it, it definitely did the second thing. And I remember being in, in, in that place and I went in and I was talking with the police officer. He asked me what I did. I, I told him everything I did. I was so scared. 
And he said, are you ever going to do it again? <laughs> and of course, if I say yes, he's going to throw me in with these like criminals and these crooks and these like 10-year-old bad, bad people. And, and so um, I said, no, I'm never going to do it again. And so he said, okay. And he gave me a hug and he gave me a balloon and I walked out of that place. <laughs> Here I am, 18 years old with this smiley face balloon. <laughs> Just now, I was, um, now I think I was probably like eight or nine. Right? And I've got this balloon and I uh, go running to the car and I said, uh, he said I could go home. So here I am, my mom and I are driving, and on the way home, we stopped by this store. At the time, it was called Bradley's. It was kind of like a Kmart. We stopped in there. I wasn't exactly sure why, and my mom said, you want baseball cards? I said, yeah, I love baseball cards. She bought me a pack of baseball cards, and she said, you always wanted this football, right? I said, yeah, I want that football. So it was this football with a Terry Bradshaw signature on it, and um, she bought it for me. And I was like, man, what in the world is going on? And so after we bought it, I remember we were, we're, we're checking out, and we're walking back and to the car. My mom's like, David, you know why I bought this for you, right? And I said, yes. But I had no idea. No idea. But as I think back on that, as I think back on that, I think there's a certain sense in which it had something to do with this fact. That when we deserve it the least, that's when we need it the most. And Jacob was desperately in need, and he was desperately undeserving. And yet God begins to speak into his life, and he, he just begins to, to whisper promises for everything that Jacob was feeling at the time. Jacob was like, I am so afraid. God says, I am here with you. Jacob's like, I'm homeless. I'm a wanderer. The land that was promised to me, I'm away from that land. I'm getting further and further away. And the only person, and the one person who's there is the person who wants to kill me. He says, I'm completely penniless. I'm completely homeless. And God says, I will bring you back to that promised land, that land I promised to you. You feel like you've got nowhere else to go. I'm giving you a hope. And he says, I will finish what I accomplished. I will not, I will not leave you, verse 15, until I have done what I have promised you. A good night, if this is not grace upon grace to the completely undeserving. Everything that he needed to hear in that situation where he was just completely emptied out, God just began to pour into his heart. He said, here's what you need to hear. You ever, you ever been in a place like that where the exact words that you need, God just begins to speak to you in that situation. This is how God wants to work because, you see, he often comes to us when we've hit rock bottom. And if you've hit that place, you're at that place right now, then I'm, I'm pretty sure that God wants to meet you where you are. Why is it that we don't experience God in this way? Here's why. Because we don't fully and truly believe the second thing that we see here. And here's the second thing. The second thing is wherever you are is where God is. Okay, wherever you are is where God is. Look at what he says in, in verse 16. When Jacob awoke from his sleep, he thought, surely the Lord is in this place, and I was not aware of it. And then he goes on in verse 8 and 17. He said, he was afraid and said, how awesome is this place. This is none other than the house of God. This is the gate of heaven. See, here's why, here's why we don't believe it. I'm pretty sure we don't believe that wherever we are is where God is because we think we have an idea of where God is supposed to show up. 
God shows up at church. God shows up on the mission field. God shows up at a retreat. God shows up when I'm doing my quiet time. But God does not show up when I'm at the mall. God does not show up when I'm hanging out with these guys. God doesn't show up when I'm in the dumps. He shows up when I'm doing well. He shows up when I'm doing my devotion. He shows up when I'm living in obedience. But he surely doesn't show up when I'm doing this kind of stuff. When I'm living in this kind of a depression, God doesn't meet me in that place. See, when we think we've got God figured out and we limit him to sacred places and sacred spaces, and what happens is that all the rest of the time when we're not in that place, we don't expect God to show up. And so we live like Jacob where he says, surely, you know what? God is in this place, but I have not even been aware of it. The whole time God is wanting to speak into our hearts, speak into our situation in a way that is particular and specific to whatever it is that you and I need. But we think God is limited to these places. And so it caused us to wish and the long, I wish that I was back in that place. Don't we do this? Right? Some of us who are married with children or some of us who are married, just older, we're like, you know what? I wish I was in college because God met me in that place. Or you know what? Uh, I'm, in, I'm in college and it just hasn't been the same since my youth ministry days. I wish I was back in, in high school where I could just come together every Friday night and just worship and be in these small groups. It's just not been the same since then. Or I wish I was in Ecuador. I wish I was in Asia. I wish it was in the Middle East, wherever it is. And we begin, to, we begin to think that God can only show up in those places and we miss out on so much of what God is wanting to say to us. Like, can we talk for a second? I think for some of us, here's what it means. And if I, can just, if I can just speak into our hearts a little bit, I think for a lot of us, that means we need to stop making excuses for why we're not living for God. I think we need to stop making excuses and stop saying, I wish I was here or I wish I was there. Or, I wish it was back in this place. Because wherever you are is where God is. He's like, I'm ready to meet you, but you're still waiting for, for, for June 14th to 17th to come. I'm so ready to meet you, but you're waiting for this mission trip to come. I'm here. Check it. I'm here. And I, I want to minister to you. It doesn't have to be. It doesn't have to be that you bankrupt your life because you're not in the place where you, where God met you. For, uh, for that first time. Just because you're not where first love was to be found doesn't mean that God's not there. Doesn't mean that God's not here. Get this? I think so many times we excuse ourselves and we're waiting for this right time to come. And I know God's going to be there. I can't wait. And we pour all of our eggs into that basket when God's got baskets for you here. I don't know. I, I don't, you know, I was, I was hesitant about using this story because some of you who know my story have, have heard this before. But the summer of my freshman year in, in college, uh, the, I was the only one taking summer school because I um, needed to take these prerequisite classes to get into the business school at the college that I was at. And so uh, normal, everyone else took summer school for the B and C sessions. I had to take it for the A session, which is right after school ended. And right after school ended, there was this retreat that a lot of our people went to. It was, at the time, it was called Potomac Park Retreat. Um, it's a retreat that is now uh, in August every year. It's called the Harvest Retreat that some of y'all have been to. But that was a retreat that was right at the end of the school year. And I remember wanting so badly to go and praying to God, God, I want to be able to go. Help me not to have to take this class. Help the class be offered some other time. Help me to be able to talk to, my, uh, to, the, to the dean and be able to get it moved. And, and, and nothing. I had to take this class. And so I remember... I did the, the place I, I so desperately wanted to be was at this retreat. I was so eager to, to know God, so eager and hungry for God's presence and his blessing in my life. I just so much wanted to be in that place where I knew that God was going to show up. And I, and I couldn't be there. And so I remember that Monday, 
thinking to myself, just getting all upset and getting all bitter and getting all angry and just wishing in my heart. I, I wouldn't go so far as to pray it, but wishing in my heart saying, I hope that people come back and say this retreat wasn't that good. I hope that something goes wrong. I hope that uh, people don't get blessed, that people don't sense the spirit of God. So people don't just begin to feel his presence. I, and I was just hoping that because I didn't want to get left behind. I didn't want others to get blessed and for them to, to just keep running ahead of me. And I, just, I wanted, I wanted to, to, to know God. I remember being so upset and being so bitter and, and saying, I can't go to And thinking that, man, if, if only I could be there. I went to sleep that night just being so upset. I woke up the next morning feeling that same sense of, of just gnawing desire, wanting to be there, but knowing that I can, so wishing that they would not have a, as good a time. And in the, midst of that, in the midst of that place, I knew that there are people who were praying for me. They called me, and they said, we're thinking about you. And, and, and something just began to, to drop in my heart, and I just began to get this feeling like, you know what? As, as real and as powerful as God is there, and he's real and, and he's powerful here. And I said, you know what? By God, if they're going to have a retreat there, then I'm going to have a retreat all by myself. Me and the Father, Son, and Spirit. We're going to have a slam dance and rocking kind of a spiritual retreat here. Just me and them. And I just remember just getting into that place. It wasn't at a chapel. It wasn't at a church. It, wasn't, it was just in, in, in this bedroom. And I had the most amazing like spiritual revival that I've ever had in my life. Just reading the word and, and praying and, and reading these Christian books. And just my soul was just filled. And it was almost like in that place, God was saying, you know what? Wherever you are, wherever you are, wherever you are, that's where I am. You see, we begin this passage, it says in verse 10, Jacob left, verse 11, he reached a certain place because for him it didn't matter. In fact, that place had a name. It says in verse, at the end of verse 19, he called that place Bethel, though the city used to be called Luz. It just happened to be one of the biggest cities in the ancient Mesopotamian uh, era. But to him, all it was was just a certain place. Now, this place, Luz, it actually had a meaning behind it. The name of this city was Deceit the same name as Jacob, the same meaning as Jacob, deceit. But as Jacob gets in that place and God enters into that place, this deceitful place has become completely transformed. Now it's called Bethel. It's the house of God. All of a sudden, this certain, just no name, deceitful place, God enters and he transforms that place into the house of God, the gate of heaven. And in the same way, here Jacob, who had only heard of the God of Abraham and Isaac, begins this process where God transforms his life and he becomes a God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. That Jacob, the deceitful one, the journey of transformation has now begun because God reaches into that dusty, broken place and he begins to bring beauty out of it. See, some of you are sitting in this certain place and you feel like all you've got is brokenness and pain. See, what we know to be true of God, at least in our mind, because we sing the song, is that he makes beautiful things out of the dust. And God's saying, look, if you would believe it, that wherever you are is where God is. He wants to do the same thing for you and me. That wherever you are is the gate of heaven. Do you believe this? 
My God, if you believe this, guys, this is going to transform the way that we live our lives. That wherever you are, this is the house of God right here. That you don't need to go someplace and go some faraway place. That it's here and it's now. And the blessing of God is available to you and to me wherever you are. That this is our God. And he wants to meet us where we are. Wherever you are, the promise is, I will be with you. I will go with you. I'll never leave you nor forsake you. I will never leave you until I have finished the promise that I have uh, given to you, until I fulfill the promise I've given to you. And so Jacob here, for the first time, this grasper begins to taste of a scandalous kind of grace, and it completely changes him. And so the last thing that we see here is that obedience is always a response to God's grace. Obedience is always a response to grace. It's always a response to blessing that has already been given to us. Look at what he says in, in verse 20. Then Jacob made a vow saying, if God will be with me and will watch over me on this journey I'm taking and will give me food to eat and clothes to wear so that I return safely to my father's house. Then the Lord will be my God. And the stone I've set up as a pillar will be God's house. And of all that you give me, I will give you a tenth. Here's what happened. This grace has transformed Jacob. The least deserving person out of all receives grace when he most needs it. His life has been transformed. And the one who all his life has been grasping now becomes the giver. You see, this is how we understand that we know grace. And we don't need to grasp anymore. When we realize that freely I've received, now freely I can give. It has everything to do with, with how we relate to other people. It has everything to do with how we relate to our, our checkbook. If you can't give, then it's very possible, according to 2 Corinthians chapter 8, that we don't understand the grace of God. The grace of God who for God, who was rich beyond measure, became poor for your sake so that in him we might become rich. Grace always touches our checkbook because where our heart is there uh, for where our, I'm sorry, where our treasures are, our heart will be also. So he, he begins to he begins to give. He begins to be gracious. He begins to give freely to other people because he da- tastes and understands and drinks of this kind of grace. And when it touches him. He realizes that I don't do these things in order to earn anymore. I do it because I have received freely. See, I think there's a whole lot, of, a whole lot more in Jacob than you and I might believe. And I know we're not all Koreans in here, but let me speak into our Korean situation for just a second. I was at a conference a few years back uh, called JAMA. It's happening again this year, July. A few of us will be there. Thousands of Korean people gather, first generation, second generation. And one of the things about Koreans, especially first generation, is that they're fiercely nationalistic, right? Got all kinds of, actually, even, uh, I'm, I'm second generation. I was born here in America. But whenever, like, World Cup comes around, I am diehard Korean, right? I'm, like, busting out my kimchi and everything. I don't care what I smell like. But I'm so Korean in those times when World Cup comes out. In those moments, I, I, I realize my true blood. Anyways, Koreans are, are very, very, very highly nationalistic people. We have all kinds of ethno uh, centric pride and yeah, you know, there's this cheer that we all chant. And anyways, at these Korean gatherings, it's very easy to get a rouse out of the, the out of the congregation. Just start saying things about how great Korean people are, and so pre, uh, speakers would do that. Like uh, one one speaker, Lauren Cunningham, would talk about how in 1970s he had this vision how Korea would be the greatest missionary sending nation. And the crowd was going crazy. This is guy John Piper. He doesn't give a rip about the crowds, but Piper gets up there, right? He starts talking about, oh, you know, he starts praising Korean people. And it's, it's, 
it's awesome because in this, there's thousands of be all kinds of energy. And so Piper gets up there and he's like, you know what? The Korean people are the most resourceful people in the world. And these first generation people are like, amen. And they're like screaming. And it's like, the more spiritual you are, the louder you yell, right? If you're an elder, you yell louder than the deacon stuff. Like, hey, guys, here. And he's, he's like, he's go on preaching. And they're like, ah, oh, amen. In the, in the aftermath of the Korean War, when your nation was torn to shreds, out of the ashes you rose because of your resourcefulness to become one of the booming economies in the world. Amen. Like, yeah. Looking at each other. Well, what do you, yeah, that's us. Yeah. <laughs> you guys make so much out of so little. You guys are the most resourceful people that you find ways in order to get the things that you need. Amen. They're like, they're so spiritual right now. Ah, oh, yeah. Crazy. Even as it relates to your relationship with God, you guys are so resourceful. Like, amen. Yeah. You wake up so early and, and you take matters into your own hands and you seek all these things out. And, and in your resourcefulness, you do that. Amen. And then he kind of gets quiet. He leans in. He says, when it comes to your relationship with God, that's not a good thing. It's amen. And, and he gets like dead silent. It's like, here's your problem is that because of your resourcefulness, because of the fact that you can solve all these problems, you think that you can apply that to your relationship with God and that you can do all of these things and that you can earn something from God and say, there, here, God, give it to me. It's like your problem is that you don't understand God's free grace in your life. All of a sudden, everybody was like, shut up. Holy cow. And there he just began to preach gospel to them. I think there's a whole lot of Jacob in us. See, Jacob thought that he had to take matters into his own hands. He had to do all of these things. And maybe that's why you feel so empty. Because you've been doing and doing and doing and doing and not just sitting and sitting and receiving what God has. And out of that grace, you respond in loving obedience. Could it be that we thought we could earn our way to the blessing of God? In college, I remember reading a book by a missionary to China named Hudson Taylor. And then he has this amazing, profound quote where Hudson Taylor was just trying to become the most godly man that he could be, the most spiritual man that he could be. And he was asking all these mentors. He's like, I'm fasting, I'm praying, I'm doing all of these things, trying to get to a place of intimacy with God. And this one guy looked at him and he said, you know what? Here's how you get more faith. It's not about grasping and striving and trying for more faith. It's about resting in the faithful one. Like, dang. Man, that's a, a you get, wrap your mind around that, wrap your heart around that, that will flip your life upside down. It's not about grasping, striving, seeking, fighting, winning for more faith, but it's about resting in the faithful one. See, Jacob finally begins to get out. The light comes on. Maybe this is what I've been missing is grace. So what about this stairway to heaven? 
I'm going to end here quickly. I'll be done. John 1, we're finished, but I need to explain this. In John chapter 1, verses 43 to 51, there's this amazing passage that is so difficult. It's as difficult to understand as Genesis 20, uh, as 28, if we don't understand these two things and hold these in juxtaposition. In John chapter 1, verse 43, Jesus calling his first disciples, calls this guy Philip. He calls Philip. Philip follows Jesus. And then Philip runs to a guy, Nathaniel, and he says, OMG, we found the one. We have found the Messiah. He's Jesus of Nazareth. Nathaniel's skeptical. He's like, Nazareth, can anything good come out of there? And so he says, come and see. And here goes Jesus. Jesus comes to him and he says, Nathaniel, look, follow me. And he says, you don't know me. And Jesus looks at Nathaniel and says, here's a true Israelite in whom there is no deceit. Do you remember this? If you write this down and look at it later, it'll blow your mind away. Here's a true Israelite, Israelite. Not Jew, but an Israelite. Why does he say Israelite when every other context it says Jew? Because they're hearkening back to a man whose name would be Israel, Jacob. In just a few weeks, we'll see his name change to Israel. Here's a true Israelite in whom there is no deceit. Okay, immediately, every Jewish mind is thinking back to Jacob. And he says, how, how, do you, how do you know me? And Jesus said, I saw you while you're still under the fig tree. Nathaniel declared, declared, Rabbi, you're the son of God. And Jesus says, you believe because you... Because I saw you under the fig tree. Look, you're going to see heaven open. Let me read it to you. He then added, I tell you the truth. You shall see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the son of man. Jacob's ladder, just 2,000 years thrust forward or 1,500 years forward. Jacob's ladder once again. What's he saying? See, Jacob understood that there were people in his time who tried to build a tower that reached to the heaven. And it completely failed. It failed so miserably that God said, let us go down to see what they've done. That's how puny it was. Jacob was trying to build his own tower to get up to that place. But he had to realize that, you know what? It's not about you climbing up there. It's about heaven coming down to where you are. In Genesis 28, it says that God stands at the top, but the bottom reaches down to earth. The, the, the ladder is going down to earth. It's heaven coming down. And when Jesus says, you'll see that heaven's open and angels have got ascending and descending on the stairway to heaven. He doesn't say that. He says, on the son of man. Jesus is saying, look, I am the stairway to heaven. I am the way that you're blessed. I am the way that grace comes to you. I am the gate of heaven. I am the only way that you could ever make it. You can't do it by your own efforts. You can't do it by your own striving. You can't do it by your own trying. The only way that heaven is opened up to you and the gates of heaven are available to you is because I took the curse of your deceit. Because I took the punishment for all of your failures, all the failures that seemed to be passed over, it came on me. And now heaven is open. Heaven came down. And glory fills our hearts. We can worship. We can sing. We can have access to the throne of God because Jesus Christ is that stairway to heaven. Let's pray. So we uh, pray. I just want to invite those of you here feel like you're on your last legs to ask the Lord that he would begin to fill you with his grace. See, where you are, it's not just a physical location. It's a spiritual place, too. Wherever you are, whatever hard place, whatever dark place, wherever you are is where God is. 
He's nearer to you than even the seat you're sitting on. Surely the Lord is in this place. Would you recognize that? Would you see that? Would you ask him? Would you invite him to come? I think many of us are like Jacob. We've heard of this God from many other people. But we haven't tasted and seen him for ourselves. Maybe for you, the invitation is to open your heart and say, Jesus, come into my life. You are the stairway to heaven. I can't get there any other way. Can't receive blessing any other way. Come. Come into my life and be my savior, be my king. For others, maybe it's you just, we just need to believe. Just rest in the faithful one that he will be true to his promise and that we obey because of grace, not to earn anything else. We've already received it. We live in that and we look forward to the future grace of God. Let's take a moment just to pray to the Lord. And after you pray for a minute or so, if you feel like you're done praying for yourself, then pray for the people around you. Let's respond to God's word. Just ask that, God, I'm in the dust here. Come and make something beautiful out of me. I'm in a broken place. Come and heal me. God, wherever I am, help me to know your presence. Be more real to me now. Surely you're here. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we ask that you would make your presence known to us now, personally, individually. Father, for those who need it the most, pray that you would show up for us, show up for them. For those who deserve it the least, pray that you would come and meet with your people. Remember us, remember your people, remember your children. Remember your promise. I pray this for your beautiful namesake.